0: Chris, you and I are both Toronto-based sports journalists. We've been upfront about that fact. I love Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You love Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He had a great year. But if any journalist who has a vote for the awards this year does not vote Shohei Ohtani for MVP, that will be a travesty. Shohei Ohtani should be the unanimous American League MVP. This is something we have never seen ...in a century. This has not been seen since Babe Ruth, which Shohei Otani did this year. It has not been seen by anyone alive on this planet. Well, actually, I gotta fact check myself there, Chris. The oldest living person is Kane Tanaka, and she was born in 1903, so she saw them both. I did not ask her if Shohei Otani was better than Babe Ruth or not. Uh, I don't think anyone has. But what Shohei Otani did this year has never been seen by anyone on this planet besides Kane Tanaka. And... I mean, I just can't think of another way to put it than that. This has been history in the making. And it would be one thing if Vladdy had had, like, a truly amazing season, if he had won the Triple Crown. But by MVP standards, when we're looking at that level, he was fine. He batted 311. He hit 48 home runs with 111 RBI and a 1.002 OPS. Those are pretty good. But his OPS plus of 169, which is... uh, a stat where the average hitter in the league is 100. So I really like that for comparing like how good you were compared to your peers. That's not even a top 500 season all time in in OPS+. His WRC+, a very similar stat, 166, puts him around 350th all time. And there have been so many seasons in Major League Baseball history. 350th all time is great. I don't want to take away from Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but it's not an undeniable MVP season where if he was robbed, it would be a travesty. And I know what people say. People say Otani dropped off in the second half while the Angels were playing meaningless games. But that happens to everyone. If you look at Vladdy, his batting average dropped 40 points from the first half to the second half. His slugging percentage was 200 points higher in the first half of the season. And I know people say, Angels missed the playoffs. How can you give it to a team that was so bad? But A, the Angels uh, had a lot of injuries. And B, baseball as a sport... There is no sport where an individual player has less of an impact on the team. Just by the very nature of the way the game is designed, it's mathematically limited how much of an impact one batter can have on a team or one player. So Otani honestly truly brings more value than any player we've ever seen. He gives you two roster spots for the spot of one. You only get 26 spots on your roster. Shohei Otani allows you to take one of those and basically gives you a bonus roster spot. He's also one of the best base runners in all of baseball. Bottom line, if you look just at his bat, Shohei Otani was fifth in the majors in WRC plus this year. That's a Fernando Tatis or Aaron Judge level bat. And then you throw in the fact that he was 26th in fielding independent pitching. If you look at guys with at least 130 innings this year, that's right around a Jose Barrios or a Marcus Stroman level pitcher in the same player. I know people have been talking all year about how incredible this is. But I feel like, maybe it's just because we're in a bit of a Toronto bubble, but I feel like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been gaining some MVP momentum as people started, stop paying attention to the Angels and the Blue Jays went on this tight end-of-season run. But that's wrong. What we saw this year is unprecedented. It's incredible. We're lucky to be alive to witness one of the most talented athletes to ever walk on planet Earth. What Shohei Otani did this year is something that has never been seen before, might never be seen again. Knock on wood, I pray to God he does the same thing next year. After years of teasing us and us hearing all the hype about him, he finally showed us what he has, and he should be rewarded with a unanimous MVP award.
1: And you know what else is unanimous? That this is going to be a great episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Well, welcome Griffin to High Floor and to all our listeners, of course, to High Floor Low Ceiling. It's a sports podcast that we need a tagline. I've this always comes up is we need a great what's a log line for the show?
0: Oh. Where your floors are high and your ceilings are low. We
1: where, just restate the title, but longer, I think. Where your spirits are high. And your sadness is low. That's great. That's perfect.
0: That's how I feel when I listen to episode (laughs) one. A big thank you to everyone who listened to episode one of our podcast. Uh, We were blown away by the response. And we can't wait to bring you guys more hot sports content.
1: And that's happening truly right this second. Uh, It's a great time to be talking sports, Griffin. I know you were at the Blue Jays game on Sunday. There's a ton going on. The NFL's on. NBA preseason started last night. Uh, how you feeling about this, this sports period that we're in, going into the MLB playoffs too?
0: Oh, this has got to be the best time on the sports calendar. Fall, you got college football, you got professional football, baseball playoffs, NHL and NBA, both right around the corner. I mean, it's tough to think of anything more that you could want. Maybe if they threw March Madness in as well, but this is by far the best time of the sports year.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to just do some housekeeping from last week. Uh, we, have, of course, had our Segment that everyone remembers on the NFL three and O teams, talking about real or fake. Uh, I'm starting. I'm starting what I'm going to call the HFLC curse, because every single three and and0 team lost this weekend except for the Cardinals who were playing against the Rams. So it's like that thing you hear with the rookie quarterbacks so how they're all losing except one of them had to win in that uh, Zach Wilson versus was it Trevor Lawrence matchup.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad we did that segment last week, because if we had done it this week, we would have just had 40 minutes of talking about the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was great. What do you think, Chris? Are the Cardinals going 17-0? and Look out, Miami Dolphins.
1: Um, I mean, I was impressed by the way the Cardinals played last night. Uh, I threw some—or not last night, uh, but on Sunday. I threw some shade at Chase Edmonds and their running back core. Chase Edmonds responds with a 120-yard rushing performance, so— I think we definitely have some listeners in the uh, Cardinals clubhouse, and we should be uh, we should be encouraging them. So yeah, seventeen and zero, go Cardinals! You're the official team of high floor, low ceiling. Wow. Got to get a big banner in
0: here or something—a a go cards banner. Yeah, but according to the curse, now they when they don't go seventeen and zero, it's our fault.
1: Right. Well, that's I'm working a bit of reverse psychology okay. here. Okay. It's curses um, on curses here. Yeah. Much like uh, when I get foiled again. Curses? Yeah. (laughs) No, it's nothing. Uh, (laughs) I'm
0: glad you said it and
1: not me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's jump right in after your very long rant. I was passionate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Vladimir Guerrero Jr. sucks. No, that's
1: not (laughs) what I was trying to
0: say. Shohei Otani, incredible. So proud of him.
1: Absolutely. Incredible season. I totally agree with you. He should be the MVP. We're going to talk some more baseball later in the show. Well, those little tease. Oh, keep, uh, keep them hooked. Working my sports radio muscles here. But first, we are going to jump to a segment that was on the docket for last week, and we just had too much fun talking about uh, the Raptors and those NFL teams. Yeah, we
0: couldn't stop talking about the Denver Broncos.
1: So <laughs> <do> it, yeah. <laughs> it's true. We did talk for a while about the Bronx. Uh, but the th- topic that we are going to start with is the NBA 75th anniversary team. Now, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to come out, the team that is. So, you remember that there was the 50th anniversary team, the 50 greatest players in NBA history that they did back in uh, 1996, I suppose it would be.
0: Oh, yeah. I rem- I was sitting in the womb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember being mad. <laughs>
1: that Shaq was on it? Yeah. That's yeah, a- it was too early. Essential spoiler for our trivia if we get to it. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so there's the 1996 team. They're doing it again for the 75th season. They're expanding the team to 75 teams, um, or 75 players, rather. I don't think – we're not going to try and make any predictions here. We're not going to predict who's going to be on the list. Um, a few weeks ago, actually, Ben Taylor over at uh, Thinking Basketball, he did an awesome podcast on this. That's definitely worth a listen. So I'm going to I'm gonna throw you some names, and I'm not going to ask you to name you know, I'm not going to make you make a list and give me 75 guys that you want to put over these players. You I mean I want...
0: prepared this list of 75 for nothing?
1: Well, I mean, you can always uh, send it to the NBA and maybe they'll count it in their tallying.
0: Mm. I do have a podcast, so they have to listen to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: you are a, You're a journalist of a sort. Uh, so, you know, I just want gut reactions on a few of these players. I think it makes the most, makes sense to come, I can't talk right now. I think it makes the most sense to come at this from the perspective of if you're making a list of the most important players in NBA history, does this guy deserve to be on the list? Do you want him on your personal list? I'm going to throw a name to you to start out with Chris Webber. Uh, let's actually, let's just start right off the bat. Give me a yes or a no with, with no context and I'll, then I'll give you the resume. No. Okay. Uh, so Chris Webber, he's a five-time All-Star he was. He made a five straight All NBA teams. He was a NBA All NBA first team in two thousand and one. Uh, obviously, a member of those terrific Sacramento Kings teams. They went to at least the second round in four straight seasons. They went to the Western Conference Finals in two thousand two. That very famous series against the Lakers. Uh, you know, people say that that was basically the championship that year. They went to seven against them. So you can say pretty pretty comfortably that they were are they were a championship caliber team is that fair to say would you say the 2002 kings
0: oh i think so that was i think what a lot of fans view as one of the best non-championship teams ever
1: yeah and of course you know there's the tim donaghy thing which sort of has that that cloud over it um, but yeah a really great roster that he was pretty comfortably the best player on i would say and then at his best for an, over an eight-year period starting from a little before those kings years to you know pretty much what after he left the kings because he had some injuries that sort of derailed the back half of his career, but for an eight-year stretch, 23 points, 10 and a half rebounds, four and a half assists was a great passer. I think, you know, to to you saying no, I think he's often perceived as a disappointing career overall. Uh, like I said, he had those injuries. He had some, you know, maybe character questions, some leadership questions, some can this guy win you a championship as the best player kind of questions, but. What are your general impressions or thoughts on, uh, on C-Webb?
0: I mean, yeah, it feels harsh to just say no because these are Hall of Famers we're talking about. I'm oh, not yeah. trying to diminish the incredible NBA career of Chris Webber, but I do think you hit on it where it feels like a little bit of a disappointment, which is ridiculous to say about a Hall of Famer, first overall draft pick, five-time All-Star, all those things you said. Actually, five times does feel a little bit low. When we're talking about the 75 best players in NBA history, those spots are going to fill up a lot quicker than most people think. And I think if you look at only five all-star appearances, that's not quite as much as you'd want for someone who you want to put on this list. And when you look at the college career, the number one overall draft pick, traded for Penny Hardaway, I just think that he, while a great player, did not quite do enough. I don't think a list of the essential NBA experience includes Chris Webber on it.
1: Yeah. But wouldn't you say that it includes those Kings teams that like, are that, you know, at least that 2002 team that like when you're talking about like the great teams of the two thousands, like his name, his name does come up maybe, or at least that, get, cause that is a team that's sort of thought of as a great team in the mold of like a Pistons team or something like that, where they're a great team all around.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, Team that only ever made one Western Conference Finals and lost to the behemoth of the Los Angeles Lakers. I think that the Kings are great if you're a diehard NBA fan. If you're trying to get the broad broad strokes of NBA history, pardon me, like we're trying to do with this 75th anniversary celebration, you can't go into every pretty good team, and I don't think the Kings are essential knowledge.
1: Yeah, that's fair. They, You know, they were broken up by a lot of things. Weber's injuries were a big part of it. You know, he went to Philadelphia and kind of had some success there, at least on an individual level. Uh, I think I agree with you overall. Um, I like Weber. Uh, I think he's, like I said, an underrated passer, like he had a very complete offensive game. I think he would actually be very good like today if that factors into your calculus at all but it's hard to say that his career wasn't disappointing like he was a guy who it never seemed like he was putting in like it's it, it's almost it's in that part of that generation you know like the Vince Carters the Jerry Stackhouses like those guys it never felt like they were like die hard especially coming right off the heels of Jordan and a lot of people were trying to anoint a next Jordan that it never felt like any of those guys really, like, reached the summit in the way they should have, with some obvious exceptions, you know, Kobe and the rest.
0: But, yeah, it's sort of like when you look at the kings of the NBA that of that generation, Duncan and Kobe and Nash, I think, are the three that sort of popped ahead.
1: Those guys are their
0: squires. They're their princes. Certainly great players, but, well, Chris, I mean, you throw Shaq in there as well. but
1: You can't say Chris Webber wasn't a king of the NBA. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's my response to your terrible
1: <laughs> wordplay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we're more or less in agreement here. Um, C-Web, a great player. You know, he was just, he made it into the Hall of Fame. I think it was a long, uh, a long snub. I think he should have been in earlier, especially since.
0: Especially since I have a pretty good chance of getting into the NBA <laughs> Hall of Fame. Anyone who plays for over six years, it feels like, gets into the NBA Hall of Fame. Yeah,
1: and it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. and He's like one of the most high-profile college players of all time. That's a great point. Precisely. But, well, of course, that doesn't factor into our list. But Chris Webber, great player. And, you know, all of these are great players. The reason that I picked these specific players is because they're on the bubble and sort of could have a case for getting in. So, you know, all of these great players, all these Hall of Fame players, I would say. But, you know, we're, we're making tough cuts here. But let's move on to another name another from a similar era. Um, I don't think they're the same draft class. I probably should have done my research there. But this is a, a 10-time All-Star, only a two-time of player, uh, a star player throughout the 2000s. This is Ray Allen. Give me a gut reaction, yes or no here. Yes. <laughs> you gave a little nod to me. As you said that,
0: I want to make it very clear that I'm a yes on Ray Allen. This is the all time three point leader for the next couple of months. At least I forget exactly how (laughs) close Steph is, but I think it's going to happen this year, isn't it?
1: Yeah, he's under 200 away. I have this written down that he is currently the leader in three pointers made. Steph will almost assuredly pass him, you know, fingers crossed, barring any kind of catastrophic injury. Then Steph will pass him most likely this year. Uh, My question for you in that regard is do you value things like counting stats, things like the all-time in whatever, like, you know, we all, like, Carmelo Anthony being top 10 in scoring or LeBron, you know, I guess number one is different, but...
0: I think when you're looking at a team like this, the 75th anniversary team, I do think that kind of stuff matters. You're trying to, at least the way I would interpret it, you're Mm -hmm. trying to tell the story of the first 75 years of the NBA in 75 players, and I think... Maybe, I don't I don't know if I'm saying Ray Allen is a better player than Chris Weber was. They were so different, but I think Ray Allen is a more important piece of that 2000s 2010s NBA history than Chris mm-hmm. Weber was and I think that's what puts him on the team. His his role on the Celtics, which were this first big three, his role on the heat hitting that shot, one of the most famous shots in NBA history and then of course the all-time three-point leader, a great player even when he was on the Bucks and the Sonics a guy who really evolved over the course of his career, became a great three-point shooter. Uh, I think that, yeah, Ray Allen is a part of NBA history for sure, and that's what puts him on the team.
1: Yeah, like you said, obviously, you know, the third wheel, but a star third wheel for sure on those uh, late 2000 Celtics, and then a great role player on the Heat. He won a championship with both those teams. He hit that monster shot in uh, Game 6 of the Finals. But I think almost Ray Allen gets a little underrated in a lot of ways because his career in Milwaukee and Seattle was so good. I didn't write the stats down, but he's like he's about a you know twenty three five and five kind of guy in his prime. I think a huge thing that goes overlooked actually is that when he was on the Bucks, they went to Game Seven against Philly in the two thousand one Conference Finals. They lost by you know fifteen plus points in that Game Seven. But I have a bit of a thought experiment for you. If we're talking about Ray Allen as the guy that brought his team to the finals in 2001 instead of Allen Iverson, does that significantly shift his conversation for you?
0: Uh, I mean, I've got him in anyway. Getting them to the finals would only increase that. But, yeah, I think that that would absolutely help Ray Allen's legacy, a guy who, as of in the real world, only made the uh, finals on teams that had big threes. Mm -hmm. With Miami, he wasn't even one of the three so I do think that that would help a lot of younger fans who grew up maybe in the 2010s and think of Ray Allen as a glorified J.J. Redick. Uh, I think that would help them realize just what a great player he was.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'll, I'll go on maybe a rant about Allen Iverson later. No spoilers. Um, <laughs> but I think we're of a similar
0: mind on Allen <laughs> Iverson.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I, another question I had for you, because, you know, you have Ray Allen. He hit a massive shot in the finals game. But like you said... He was not one of the three or maybe even four best players on that 2013 Heat team. Uh, You know, I sort of think about how, like, you know, he was a contributor on that team. He was a valuable role player. Now, I was thinking not only that he made the shot, but that he was being put on the floor in that situation. I mean, granted, they did need a three to tie it. So it makes sense to have the greatest three-point shooter ever at the time on the floor there, but
0: stuff like that is what makes Eric Spolster one of the best coaches in the NBA. I've always said that.
1: Yeah, but the but the fact that he is being put in the position to, you know, potentially take a game tying shot in a finals game, I think speaks to the fact that he was a valuable contributor. But you talk about, you know, you talk about guys like Dwight Howard on the 2020 Lakers, or even, you know, let's say Carmelo Anthony is a solid contributor for the Lakers this year and wins a ring. How much stock do you put into those rings that are earned as a role player that come at the end of a player's career and sort of uh, bolster their resume a little like when you're just looking at a list it certainly oh
0: I mean like I'm happy for the guy that's great every like the more guys who can get to achieve their ultimate goal the better but to me it doesn't really impact how I measure a player I don't measure a player much on championships even if they're the best player on their team mm-hmm. like championships to me are especially when you're talking NBA, are so overvalued as individual achievements. People don't talk about the fact that they, no player has ever won a championship by themselves. Not LeBron, not Michael, not Kareem, not Shaq, not anyone. But uh, yeah, so to me, doesn't change much.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard because, you know, I, I think I probably, based on what you've just said, I think I do put a little more stock into championships. Obviously, like you said, it's a team achievement, but... I don't know. Just being being on the best team in a given season I think is like is something that deserves recognition, but like you said, it's hard to sort of quantify how valuable a ring is for a role player versus, you know, a player who goes 20 like like a John Stockton who goes a long time or a Karl Malone who goes a long time and is an amazing player, but just because of the way things sort of bounce never ends up with that championship.
0: That's a good point.
1: <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I'm gonna move on to a guy. This is actually so you know. Basically, this segment is just stolen from Ben Taylor. Is basically what I'm uh, what I'm telling you. Well they, We'll write
0: him a nice thank you note.
1: Yeah, and this is a guy who he brought up, uh, and I was a little surprised by. But the more you think about it, the more sense it makes. Kyrie Irving. Give me a yes or no on Kyrie Irving.
0: When I first saw this on your list, I wanted to say no. I looked at it. I looked at it. It's honestly, he's still got a lot of his career left, but. I'm going to say yes.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really, it's a very interesting conversation, I think, actually. Um, like I said, he's not a guy that comes to mind right away. When you think about even the greatest players of, like, the 2010s, he's not really a guy that, like, jumps to mind right away. No, he's just in a, way. a
0: perennial Robin.
1: Yeah. And when he tried to make it work in Boston as a Batman,
0: to use the old adage, it didn't really go that great. I don't think Celtics fans would tell you that they have fond memories of the Kyrie Irving era. Uh, But if you look at the pure numbers and his role in our basketball discussions over the past 10 years, I do think that he's been as present and as consistent. When he gets on the court, he's been just about as consistent a superstar as you could want.
1: Yeah, certainly from the, you know, telling a story perspective, I think he definitely makes it there. Uh, So since his rookie season, he's averaged about 23 points, four rebounds, six assists. He's a seven-time All-Star. He's a three-time All-NBA. He would probably have, I would say, at least two more, if not for injuries. Uh, You know, he he missed out on an all-star team in 2016, I believe, which is obviously one of his best years. Uh, He played on three finals teams. He won a championship. He made a championship-winning shot in Game 7 of an NBA Finals. Like, that definitely counts for something. Uh, Strictly from an eye test perspective, you can call him, like, I I would... is it, is it fair to argue that he is the greatest ball handler of all time? I think
0: you could absolutely make that argument. I think people would throw guys like Allen Iverson in there, but if you're talking purely guys who you want to watch play basketball, I think mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving is as high on the list as any other. The amount of times where... As, as Raptors fans, I think we've basically spent our entire career rooting against Kyrie Irving and the amount of times I have just felt absolutely burned by something that he had no right to do and just hits a ridiculous falling away three-pointer from the logo after a sick dribble move. Like, Kyrie just seems like he always gets it done, always finds a way to get the ball in the basket.
1: Yeah. Like, I, like we said, perhaps the greatest ball handler of all time. I think he's underrated as one of the greatest shooters of all time one of the greatest scorers of all time. How much do you think something like that, like sort of subjective measurements like that when you're looking at sort of individual skills and things like that, how much does a guy being the greatest or one of the greatest X of all time factor into to a list like this for you?
0: To me, it's as important as anything they have in a box score. Like that's what we're, I know this is going back a lot to what we said about Ray Allen, but that's what we're doing here. We're capturing... The story of the nba and if you've got someone who's the greatest something or other of all time of course you can always debate it but to me that's what you need on your top 70 it's not a top 75 players of all time it's a 75th anniversary team which happens to be 75 players it's a big roster there's there's not a lot of minutes to go around <laughs> they're, on this they're and deep but um but yeah and i think for that reason the fact that as much as anyone in the 2010s, Kyrie Irving is a human highlight reel, and every time he touches the ball, there's the potential for something amazing to go down. That's what puts him on the team.
1: Yeah, and like you said, there's the, there's the thing in Boston. Um, sort of, he definitely burned that franchise. He, they were not all that successful with him as their number one player. He was there, what, two years? Two years felt like about. 10? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but, you know, the thing that actually really impressed me was last season in Brooklyn, not, or I guess now two seasons ago, uh, when Durant was out for the whole year, uh, he ended up getting injured about halfway through the season. But he showed something else that, like, I was not expecting from him during that season in terms of his ability to take a very mediocre at best roster and sort of bring them to playoff contention
0: yeah only ended up playing 20 games in that season that's in crazy but yeah averaged 27.4 points 6.4 assists that was I think something that blew a lot of people away when he did that people had counted out the Brooklyn Nets as soon as Durant went down and as long as he was healthy they were winning games
1: yeah and I mean that roster like it's maybe not as bad as it looked at the time like you had like Dinwiddie who sort of was breaking out at that time yeah, Joe Harris, Kyrus Lever, Torian Prince. Like, these are all guys who, like, I think now more so than two years ago, he'd like, yeah, that's a really good player. But for him to do that, like, especially because he started his career on some really bad Cavs teams, and the whole thing with them was that they couldn't make the playoffs. Like, do you remember, like, back in, like, 2013 or 14 when they, like, they traded for Luol Dang, like, Oh yeah, they like had Spencer Hawes on there. They had a really weird roster, actually. Let me find that. Jared mm-hmm. Jack, I believe, was on that team.
0: Yeah, well, a couple years later, they were number one in the lottery. They were number one in the lottery multiple times with Kyrie on the team. Like those were bad teams. They had to draft Anthony Bennett and trade Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love. Like th- those were not a good team. So the fact that he showed it in Brooklyn all those years later, maybe he learned a thing or two from uh, some guy he played with in Cleveland.
1: <laughs> sure. Um. oh yeah this is this is a beautiful roster I'm gonna just break you down some of the guys who uh, who played some minutes on the 2014 Cleveland Cavaliers uh, 33 and 49 record Mike Brown was the coach there uh, just a, a very a very great I love talking about these like forgotten teams that sort of stick out in your mind uh, so you've got Kyrie Irving you've got Luol Deng Tristan Thompson we all remember Spencer Hawes Deion Waiters, Jared Jack, Anderson Verja was in there, Griffin, Andrew Bynum was on this team. Oh my god, this is a who's who of hilarious NBA players. Uh, Speaking of Andrew Bynum, something that someone brought up the other day, Andrew Bynum is 33 years old. What? (laughs) I know, it's inconceivable. (laughs) Did he not,
0: I swear he played 35 years ago, that seems ridiculous. Uh, Well, he
1: came into the league as a high schooler, he was like one of the last high school players, and so like he was out of the league in like eight years but he was only like 25 at that point does he make your 75th anniversary team chris he makes he's in the top 10 for like unintentional comedy guys (laughs) i mean that haircut the salsa dancing the ball i mean that was all he
0: was bad at basketball well
1: come on let's not i mean i'll say it (laughs) he was good at times But, yeah, that that year in Philadelphia, like, he put together a truly remarkable run of, like, just fantastic moments that are, like, indelible on my mind.
0: Chris, I'm not sure if you saw in our notes here, but I actually snuck a name into your list of guys who are on the bubble, I think, of the 75th anniversary team. Another polarizing player. In fact, I would say maybe the most polarizing player of the 21st century among Mm. NBA Twitter Aside from LeBron James. And you know what? Now that I say that, everyone is polarized <laughs> on NBA Twitter. Some people can't even agree on whether or not he's good anymore. What is your opinion on the, is there a spot on the 75th anniversary team for a former MVP, a nine-time All-Star, a two-time scoring champ, a three-time assist champ, the triple-double king himself, Russell Westbrook?
1: Yeah, um, I'll say yes, unequivocally yes. Uh, but you know he's not—he's well, maybe he's top fifty. He might be right on the bubble of fifty. But at the end of the day, like if you win an MVP, you're it—that jumps you up such a huge amount in my mind. Um, you know, obviously, I don't think we'll see Derek Rose on this list. Although, you know, you never know.
0: No, Derek Rose does not belong on this list. I will fight. I will fight against that.
1: I mean, I would agree with you, but you know, it's possible. But other than that, I think that is the only former MVP at least of the last 50 years that we will see off this list and Bill Walton maybe I think Bill Walton will be on the list um but yeah I mean certainly Russell Westbrook is a player whose achievements out outstrip his actual ability on the court I would say and his stats as well he is a player who consistently like You know, we talk about how the advanced stats, like they ruin these players who were seen as amazing, like Allen Iverson is a prime example, but everyone loves Russell Westbrook. Like Russell Westbrook was given an MVP over James Harden, who had like one of the greatest seasons of all time. And, you know, like we say counting stats don't matter anymore, but triple doubles apparently matter a lot. So it's, it's a tough situation. I mean, like he's in just based on like his base accomplishments on the all-stars on the MVP on you know being the second best player on one of the great teams of the 2010s um i think he makes it in on that but i definitely think that he has some he has some flaws in his resume and it'll be interesting to see after you know after he retires after his career is over whether those flaws become more prominent or those flaws become forgotten because i think there's two ways that a player's career can go after their retirement cuz like there's the Wilt Chamberlain way which is like Holy cow, these numbers are insane! I go to Basketball Reference and I see that a guy average. It doesn't 50.
0: seem real, Will yeah. Chamberlain's numbers.
1: Yeah, it's like when you look at the stats on a page and you see that a guy averaged fifty points a game, then it blows your and it blows your mind and like you're like, this guy must be one of the greatest players of all time. And then there are other players who get this reputation for well, their stats were good. Like I'm maybe even like a Pete Maravich is a good example of players who like get singled out as. Their stats were good, but they weren't actually that good. And it really can vary. And sometimes I think like unfairly vary how players get put into one of those two boxes. So I'll be very interested to see where Westbrook, what what box he lands in.
0: Well, five years from now, we'll we'll put him in one of those boxes when he retires. Uh, Do you want to take a quick break?
1: Absolutely. We will be back discussing some MLB on The Great Show, High Floor, Low Ceiling. And welcome back to High Floor, Low Ceiling. <laughs> Hello. There we <laughs> this go. Is, I'm, this is the this week's funny voice on the There's a piggyback. podcast happening over here. Come
0: on in. Is uh, that is that what people normally do when they do podcasts? They invite everyone
1: in well, to you, the studio? You told everyone from the Midwest to come to our <laughs> studio last time.
0: Well, we've got this lineup of eight potato farmers outside the door. They is said that, that what they you were think people in the Midwest invited? To? I mean some I'm I'm going to guess there are at least 8 potato farmers in in the Midwest. You're such a member of the coastal
1: elite. You That's understand me. what the
0: I cheer for teams in the East Division.
1: You don't understand what the people in real America are going through. Again, we're not American. Nope. Um but Griffin, I think you uh are going to take the wheel for this next segment talking about some Major League Baseball.
0: Well, yeah. It was a crazy week in Major League Baseball. We
1: had... uh, (laughs) That's for sure, Griffin. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Can I finish a freaking (laughs) sentence around here? I swear to God. No, I'm just joking. Chris, you bring joy to all of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a crazy week in Major League Baseball, though. We had a four-way chase for the two spots in the American League Wild Card, and we had the Dodgers and the Giants battling out to avoid that one-game playoff. And the second part was not what was focused on, at least in our hometown of Toronto this week. Everything was all Blue Jays. But that, watching those two teams fight to not have to play a winner go home game this week is what m- really reminded me that Major League Baseball's playoffs are broken. Mm-hmm. The fact that we you have the two best teams in baseball, in the Dodgers and the Giants, and they are going to be forced... One of them is going to be forced. It turned out to be the Dodgers to play a winner- go home game. And then, even if they win, they have to play each other in the first round in a best of five. It's not the way any other sport does playoffs. It doesn't make any sense this wild card thing. And so, Chris, today, I want us to fix Major League Baseball's playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I have some ideas. I wrote them down here. Uh, but first, I want to hear what you think. Do you, first of all, do you agree that,
1: Major League Baseball needs to overhaul this playoff system? Um, I do and I don't. Uh, I think in terms of, like, you know, because first and foremost, I'm a basketball fan, and so I'm very accustomed to a world where you have 16 teams in the playoffs, over half the league, and, like, a playoff race, like, a race for the eighth seed just isn't as big of a deal in the NBA as it is in the NFL or the MLB or even hockey. Like, an eighth seed in the NBA... Is basically, worthless. Whereas you know, a team can definitely come from the wild card and make it into a world series, so and like, happens all the time, and it's very hard to make the playoffs, so I, it does matter a little bit more. And so, I don't know that I fully agree with your premise that it's like totally broken. I think it could use some tweaking for sure, but of all the you know, old school things that stick around in sports way past when they should actually still be around. I like that divisions matter in baseball. I like that you have to be the best team in your division and that you have to play your division rivals like a bunch of times and that you have to like, you know, cause you know, if the blue Jays won one more game against the Yankees in that series, they played, what was it a week ago, two weeks ago, then we'd be talking about a totally different situation here. And so it's like, you have to win and you usually have to win head to head against your division rivals. So I, I like the divisions d- still matter in baseball um but you know we've seen the playoffs expand in the NFL recently who and by the way the NFL also has a wild card to be fair uh, right
0: but the way they uh, work it out feels different That's yeah. my response <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a different vibe but yeah um
0: like well, let me let me give you my proposal yes and why don't you react to my proposal because I agree with you I like the divisions I don't think, that we need to change how teams get into the playoffs. I like five teams per league. I like the three division winners and the wild cards. That is all fine. But I think, first of all, since the day they brought it in, a one-game playoff is fundamentally antithetical to what baseball is. Baseball is a sport of series. The entire regular season is played in series. The most important part of any team is a pitching rotation, Mm -hmm. something that happens over the course of five games. In the playoffs, it usually goes down to four. And a one-game playoff where a fluke error or a fluke single can change the entire thing Makes for very entertaining television, but if we say that the point of the playoffs is to find the best team and crown them a champion, a one-game playoff is the worst possible thing you could do in the sport of baseball, so that's why my first proposal, you gotta take the wildcard series, you gotta make it a best of three. It's not a best of five, like the division series, but you have to at least give teams a chance to overcome luck and prove that they've earned their playoff spot, now the The travel would be ridiculous, so the home team for all three games would be the higher wildcard seed. That's just the reward you get. There's no real way to work around that because you don't want to give the worst team either game one or three, which are the two most important games, and you don't want to travel all the way back and forth between game one and two and games two and three. So it's just going to be one series, just like in the regular season, in, let's say, for the National League this year, it would be in Dodger Stadium, best two out of three, winner goes on. And then, this is where I want to get really radical, Chris. <laughs> oh, okay. After that, I want the two higher, the, the, two, the division winner with the highest record, the best team in the league, I want them to pick their first-round opponent. I want a big selection show. You get a ton of ratings. You get great storylines if you pick someone and you lose to them. I mean, you'll be questioned for years. I think that it's not certainly not traditional and i know that baseball loves their tradition but i think it's a great solution to the fact that you get these unbalanced wild cards and i think it would make for nothing but an even more entertaining first round of the baseball playoffs
1: yeah i i love the top seed idea i'm always for that you know in the nba you'll see teams tanking to get favorable matchups i don't like that I, th- I really like the idea of being able to pick your opponent. That's something that happens in eSports quite a bit, uh, which you know is obviously a, an industry that's a little more likely to embrace new ideas than Major League Baseball might be. Uh, so I love that for sure. Uh, the best of three wildcard, you, that, that's a, a great point that I really hadn't considered because I do like the one-game playoff. You know, Obviously, in the NFL, you don't have any best-of series, but that's a sport where teams play once a week the game like one single game can be very impactful and you know they prepare all week for one game and so it makes sense that when you come to the playoffs it's one game but your argument that a series is usually three or four games I'm I'm convinced I like it you have to you know in the same way that you people talk about winning a series of 3 in uh, in the regular season so I think that you're right it should be a, th- a best of 3 in the wild card I love it
0: oh well <laughs> I think I should get a HFLC point for that one. That's all right. Put it up on the board. Convincing. Because yeah. I, I do have to offer a little peek behind the curtain there. Uh, Chris, in his pre podcast notes, said that he was going to disagree with my wildcard proposal. So I really. Did I? You said, don't necessarily think that lengthening the series is the solution. I like the stakes of the wildcard. And I do it's think true. it's a philosophical difference. Yeah. In that. If you think that the point of the playoffs is to put on the best show, then the single game wildcard is fantastic. To me, the playoffs should be who's the best team. And that, I think, a one game playoff does not work.
1: Yeah. And I think that I think there are some very compelling arguments against that. I think the main thing is like, if that, if you really feel that way, if you feel that the point is to crown the best team, then you shouldn't want playoffs at all. You should just want it to be like the Premier League where they play a season and at the end of the season the team with the most wins is gets crowned the champion cuz like it, it inherently in any playoff system you're going to be you know I- increasing the amount of variance increasing the amount that luck can have a role in it you know we just talked about how it's very common for a wild card team to make it in well in this case a wild card team in the American League that's going to be a team with 15 fewer wins than the Dodgers or the Giants so like are they the best team because they were good for 1 month compared to the Giants who were good all year. It's a good point. <laughs> we're, we're really <laughs> we're really making some compelling arguments yeah, here. Yeah, this is just a, a blow for
0: blow heavyweight. <laughs> this is
1: what the people come for. Yeah. Um and another thing which is actually something I just learned about recently. I I don't have the number in front of me, but I remember reading recently a study someone did Basically looking at, you know, the levels of variance and things like that and talking about how long, uh, you know, and comparing it to the NBA, because I think the NBA is the the gold standard or the poop standard, however you want to look at it, for the better team usually wins over the course of a seven game series. And they're talking about how long a series would have to be in a given sport to replicate that level of success that the NBA sees. And it's some astronomical number. It's like 40 games. I think there's – for the NFL, it's like 100 games or something. Um, but, yeah, like there's there's just naturally going to be way more variance in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm happy to embrace that. I think philosophically from a baseball standpoint, I think the best of three makes sense. But, like, I do like the there's – a, there's a huge appeal in a one-game playoff. And if you don't want to be in a one-game playoff, then you should win more games. Like the Dodgers had but every opportunity. But if you look at the Los
0: Angeles Dodgers – who just won, what was it, 108 games? I believe they won 106 say, games. You're going to say you weren't good enough? Too
1: bad? No, they they weren't good enough. They were worse than another team. They were
0: arbitrarily chosen to be in their division because they happened to play in a city
1: close by. Well, that's not arbitrary.
0: <laughs> well, another team that, for no, there's no actual reason that those yes, two I teams have your to be point. compared.
1: But let's, uh, I'm just looking up. uh, I mean, if the Dodgers
0: lose to the Cardinals tomorrow night, this will probably come out after this game has happened. But if the Dodgers lose, there's no, I think that will bring about a reckoning on this system because there will be no justification for the St. Louis Cardinals making the playoffs or making the next round of the playoffs. The wildcard game is technically the playoffs over the Los Angeles Dodgers. There's no way to simplify that. Is it a great storyline? Absolutely. Will it make for more compelling television? Probably. But well, maybe not because the Dodgers Giants and LDS would be so great. But there's no justification if you're trying to find the best baseball team for the St. Louis Cardinals beating the Los Angeles Dodgers tomorrow night.
1: But the, so the, the, one, the one thing I will say in defense of uh, of the divisional thing is because because they're in the same division, these teams play each other a lot. I would I would understand your point more if the Dodgers had a winning record in the regular season against the Giants. Like I would have a little more sympathy for them, but they were six and ten against them in the regular season. So, is it can you really be like, well, you had a losing record against your divisional rival and you won fewer games than your divisional rival, therefore you deserve a playoff spot? Like,
0: no, I'm not saying they deserve a playoff spot over the Giants. I'm saying if you look at the yeah Atlanta Braves, who are <laughs> going to get decimated <laughs> by the Brewers in the first round, who are then going to get decimated by whoever comes out of the West in the oh, next put round. Put that on the put that on the yeah. Prediction put it board. on the big board. Uh, whoever wins this NLDS I, between the Dodgers and the Giants is going straight to the World Series. But, um, well, actually, I don't want to discredit the Brewers. The Brewers have been good. Shout out to
1: Milwaukee. Uh, it's hard to make the playoffs. We talked about this.
0: It is. Not if you play in the National League East.
1: That's <laughs> no. for sure. Well, apparently, if you're the Mets, it's really freaking hard. <laughs> um,
0: but but that that's the frustrating part, is that teams like the Dodgers, not that they're behind the Giants, but that they're behind teams like the Braves.
1: Yeah. And I, I understand it definitely. Like, I would rather see the best teams play the best teams. Like, it's a little bit of, uh, of cognitive dissonance on my part, maybe, but I think there's an argument to be made. Uh, but let, I want to talk about my system because it's really confusing. Like, oh, I was truly. That's I, exactly what we want to get into. I was here. truly sitting at my keyboard, like, well, like, Griffin has his idea, so I should figure out what I want my pitch to be. And I truly, like, I tried so many different ways. So basically, like, the essential idea behind my uh, wildcard idea is, you know, during the whole American League wildcard thing, the whole thing, the whole thing that everyone was excited for was this three-way tie or four-way tie, and the chaos that would ensue. And then, you know, there's this mini tournament where one team plays another, and then that team plays a different team, and that's how you sort out the wildcard. People were very excited about this prospect. It
0: would have been insane.
1: Precisely, and so and with that in mind and then also you know knowing that the nfl is expanding the playoff uh field the nba has expanded the playoff field with the play-in i think that that is the way to go that you should be expanding the playoff field and also you know so that you're playing more games and then you're still preserving the inherent nature of the wild card that sort of unpredictability the one game gameiness gaminess of it all so here's my system uh So the first and the... So there'll be three wildcard teams. Three spots in a wildcard. So we've got our three division winners the
0: same. Yeah. And the next three best teams in the league.
1: Yeah. Or you could even do the number two teams in the division. Like there are different ways to do it. But there are three teams. Yes. The three division winners and then three other teams. So the number one and number two wildcard teams will play against each other. And then (laughs) the loser of that game... So let's say, you know, let's just say hypothetically that the top seed is going to win every time. So one plays two, two loses, they play the third wild card team, and then the winner of that goes back. Uh, it's basically a double elimination bracket you could say. So <laughs> so you have to lose twice
0: you know what? I'm just I exactly. see the mischief in your eyes. I'm just gonna let you finish. I'm not gonna interrupt. I'm it's gonna more, try to absorb
1: it. It's more desperation than mischief. But yes. So basically if you're a top two, so you know, the original wild card, as saying original, it hasn't been around that long, but the classic wild card spots, those teams have to lose at least twice to be eliminated. So one and two play. The loser of that plays the third seed wild card. So the third seed They have a chance. They're playing a game on the road. It's a must-win game. They have a chance to get in to this, basically steal the spot of the number two team or of whichever team loses. The winner of that game then proceeds to what I call a modified best of two. So you play maximum two games, but so it's basically a best of three. (laughs)
0: With one team having come in already won a game. Exactly.
1: So the number one, see the winner of the one-two game will have one free win. They only need to win one game. The lower seed needs to win two games. It preserves the one game elimination angle cuz you have potentially three elimination games because so the 1-2 game, that's not an elimination game. But then the subsequent game is an elimination game. The game after that is an el- is an elimination game for the lower seeded team, and then the game after that is an elimination game for both teams. So you're having three consecutive Possible elimination games potentially. If you're following
0: along at home with a pen and paper and
1: sketching all of this <laughs> out, please send us a photo. Cause... And so, if you're the number one wild card, you only need to win two games at home to get in. And so, like it's it's very achievable. But you know, and and you know, you get two, possibly three cracks at it basically. Um, and yeah, you know, the door is open for the number three team. But then in this situation, they have to win three straight games on the road. They have to win. They have to beat the loser of the one-two game. And then they have to beat the winner two times in a row on the road. So, you know, it's <laughs> I, I like it conceptually. It preserves the rivalry element because you could have a situation where, you know, let's say it's let's say it's um the Dodgers and the and the Cardinals. So, you know, the Dodgers beat the Cardinals, the Cardinals go on to beat, I think it's the Reds. So like it wouldn't be that exciting, but <laughs> So that's uh, And then the, the Cardinals beat that team, and then they come back, and they're facing the Dodgers for possibly two more games. So that comes back to what you were saying about having this this series aspect to it, where you're seeing the same team multiple times, having a pitching rotation matters, you're going to be playing multiple games regardless, so yeah, that's that's the basic pitch.
0: Not only does it get rid of the randomness of the wild card game, think of all the ratings they could get on the four-hour explainer show <laughs> they would have to
1: do before the wild card every year. Well, I was trying to figure out it where it's like, oh, like does it does do three and two play and then they play one? But I don't like that as much because you're you're still at the end of the day you're ending up with a one-game playoff, like you were saying, and so I like this double elimination prospect more where you have it if you're a one or two wildcard team, you have to lose twice to be eliminated. It's basically the long and the short of it.
0: Double elimination is not really a thing in North American professional sports, but it it's is true. definitely the superior system if we're trying to avoid
1: flukes. Yeah. In most situations. And you know, there there's still potential for a fluke. A number one seed could lose two games, but if if you lose two home games, against, then you deserve to exactly be out against anyway. the Cardinals and the Reds for the, in the Dodgers case, then like yes, you should be out. So that's that's my idea. Your idea is maybe a little more elegant, <laughs> but uh, but I think there's some potential in my double elimination. We let's call that the uh, the 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 double the double play game. The double, the double play, play game. game. That's pretty that, good. That's
0: pretty catchy. Well, if there's one thing baseball loves, it's overly complicated <laughs> mathematical formulas. So I think you've got a good chance of getting it through there.
1: Yeah, I really exhausted all of our time for future segments by uh, by running through my full explainer. But uh, but I think I think we just have two compelling ideas here. Yeah,
0: I think we'll we'll be getting a meeting with Mr.
1: Manfred next week. Yeah, my man Fred, as I call him. Um, Do you ever watch Fred, the guy on YouTube with the high voice? What in like two thousand and six? Yeah, I know you were weren't born yet.
0: Yeah, I'm a very I'm very youthful. Well, I think that's just about all the time <laughs> we have, Chris, <laughs> and I'm, I mean that sincerely, not I, just
1: because you brought up I old YouTubers. I mean, it's very it's convenient for the listener and it's convenient <laughs> for us that we're out of time. Um, but yes, uh, you know you can follow me at C House and Jan on Twitter. C-H-O-W-S-O-N-J-A-N. You can follow Griffin at GriffinPorter97. Do you want me to spell it? Uh, Actually, I'll spell it, Chris. Uh,
0: G-R-I-F-F-I-N-P-O-R-T-E-R 97. I got one follower
1: after last week's episode, so big shout out to them. Yep. Here's hoping for another one. And big shout out to members of Griffin's family, I assume, for retweeting the show and things like oh, that. I have nature. a very supportive family. I'm very lucky. Must be nice. Just kidding. Shout out to my family.
0: <laughs> um, shout out to both the Housens and the Jans.
1: Yeah, sure. There aren't that many Housens, actually. Uh, but well, that's then the... they get a smaller shout out. Okay. Uh, but regardless thank you all for listening uh, hopefully by the time that you're hearing this we will be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so be on the lookout for that we are on Google Podcasts now so if you're one of the freaks that uses Google <laughs> Podcasts hop hey, on that if we appreciate the listen freaky Google Podcast listener. yeah of course freaks need podcasts too that's like what the whole podcast industry is built on <laughs> uh, but that's all for us for now thank you for listening and stay cool